Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21, would you? Genesis chapter 21. You want to get ahead, go to Galatians chapter 5 as well. Paper Bibles are available in the middle section there. Of course, you can download the Bible on your phone or your app. But listen, let this service and the next year be the year you learn to take notes. Either you write in your Bible or you write on the app you're using or you you actually have a paper journal where you're just writing down what the Lord's speaking to you, a verse, a reference, a thought that you can pray about, but let it be, even you guys listening on the radio right now, whatever state you're in, let it be a year where you're receiving in because when you hear something, you remember it. When you hear it and write it, you remember it longer. When you hear it, write it and pray over it, you're just allowing the Holy Spirit to bring those truths to your heart and use them. And so here we are in Genesis 21. It's another highlight chapter in the book of Genesis. And last time we were together, we were reminded of a great contrast between two men, Lot and Abraham. One walks by faith, but the other walks by sight, or we learn he walks in the flesh. One loses everything because of his desire for Sodom, his life in Sodom, and then his longing for Sodom when he is delivered. But the other, Abraham, he gains everything by losing it, by faith. He gains everything by responding to God in faith with his life. We know that Abraham lived in a deep fellowship with God. He's known as the friend of God. We also know Abraham wasn't a perfect man. And many times we're reading about men and women in the Bible and then we kind of measure our lives and we hear, well, look, look at Abraham compared to Lot. He was such a man of faith and look how God blessed him. But you Bible students know that there's no one that's perfect. So he didn't live a perfect life. As a matter of fact, not only did he not live a perfect life, he made some significantly serious, sinful mistakes that God was very gracious with him. And one of the Difficulties that Lot lived with is his flesh. But one of the great difficulties that Abraham lived with was his flesh. And by way of reminder today, one of the great difficulties that you and I live with is our flesh. Now, if you weren't with us last time, I I gave an explanation uh, biblically of what flesh means. So pull the study and put these two together. But for now, go over to Galatians chapter 5. And let's look at a New Testament perspective of this battle between the spirit, that regenerated life of the spirit of God living in you and the flesh. So go to Galatians chapter five. And when you get there, pick up with me in verse 16. The Bible says, as many as walk according, or excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Verse chapter five, verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. And notice, there's the answer to some of your question. You've been wondering, man, why am I struggling so much? Why am I doing things I don't want to do? Well, the Bible says, because of this, you don't do the things that you wish. 
Instead, you indulge your flesh. And remember, just by way of a brief review, we define the flesh not as the skin on your bones and muscles, but rather spiritually, the flesh refers to your old sinful habit patterns. What you revert to naturally, not supernaturally. The way that you just quickly respond to control or to withdraw or to get even. I mean, the works of the flesh, it even says here, are evident as we'll see in a moment. But he says in verse 18, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So walking in the Spirit flows naturally from standing in grace. Understanding the grace of God we then walk in the Spirit. And I want you to notice here, we're not going to develop this completely, but I want you to notice in verse 16, it's not should not. Notice it says, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not. It's not should not, and it's not better not, but it's shall not. And that's a promise of great importance. When you and I walk in the Spirit, when we're walking step by step, abiding in Christ, allowing His resources to be lived out in our lives through our surrendered life. We're walking step by step in the spirit of God. We're not going to fulfill the desires of our flesh. You won't be a fleshly woman and you won't be a fleshly man. There won't be striving to try to please God or, or all these religious rituals. We'll just simply go where the spirit leads. Many of you, whether you realize it or not, are among us today, both in person and also by, by in distance, by technology, because you've been led here by the Holy Spirit. Now, it, it lives out by decisions you make and desires you have. But remember, when your way, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. And I just think there's so many times we take more credit for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives than we should. We should take no credit. So any credit that we have, well, you know, I'm just, I'm on this phase where I'm coming back to church. Well, why? Because the Spirit of God is working in your life. The Spirit of God has reached deep down to you. He's drawing you to himself. You, you are back because of your surrendered life and God welcomes you and he's working in your life to be just caught up in the things of God, listening to him, praying to him, living out very simple things, reading your Bible, praying every day, open to the voice of God to receive direction from him. And Jesus would say in John 15, the abiding life where you just stay put in the Lord. I mean, just stay put. The idea of the word abide means to not move, 
and you stay in Christ. And there's this battle going on that all of us, if we had a chance to give testimony, would give testimony to this battle, the spirit and the flesh. The seasons in our lives where we don't do that which we wish because we indulge ourselves. We live for ourselves. We make the struggle worse and we participate in it. And we give preference to ourselves. We live in compromise and disobedience. And Jesus made it clear. Jesus made it clear that man's basic problem is not outside of him, but inside of him. That's our problem. It's inside. Jot it down in Mark chapter seven. I'll read it to you in verse 20. Jesus said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. And what does Paul tell the Galatians? These are the works of the flesh. The problem of our flesh is inside. It comes from within inside of us. It requires us to surrender to the Lord. So that just changing a person's environment, changing things around them, changing outward behavior, changing their economic situation, as good as those things might be, doesn't solve man's basic problem. You can have, you can have all the outward things you want, all the money you want, live in the best place you want, have the nicest clothes, have everything in order, and never change internally. That's why Jesus says in John chapter three, verse three, that unless a man is born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Never, never experience. These things are coming from within. That was Lot's problem. And he, law, he, he paid a high price. That's Abraham's problem. And he too paid a price. And yet chapter 21 is such a highlight. Chapter 21 is such a highlight because, you, you know, we're, we're beginning our Bible study with a review from last week. and We're talking about the flesh and it's such a bummer because we all dealt with it. I'm sure some of you are thinking, man, Ed, I was in the flesh today. Like I got so mad today or I was so covetous today or whatever it was and just like so bummed out. But then there's chapter 21. It's kind of like Romans 7, the struggle and man, just the wrestling that Paul has. But then he jumps into chapter eight that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. The highlight, you go from a low light to a highlight. That's what chapter 21 is. Because in light of the battle of the flesh and so much loss, we are reminded today of God's faithfulness and utter reliability to you right now in your life. God will remain faithful to you because he loves you. And the proof of the love of God is found at the cross of Christ. His sacrifice on your behalf in whatever condition you are. And you, you might be just utterly fleshly you know, Christians, you would understand that and you know it. And you would say, I'm not asking for you to raise your hand, but you know who you are. And that's how you are today. You're just such a, a wreck because you indulge the flesh today. Or you could say today was one of the highest highlights of your spiritual life. And it was just like everything was in line. It was such a sweet, wonderful time. Either way, God is faithful and utterly reliable. 
He will keep his promises in your life as he does to Abraham here. Notice in verse one, it says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Mark those words. He said he'd visit Sarah and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And if you'd like to write in your Bibles, jot next to it, Isaac means laughter. And Abraham, verse four, circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh so that all who hear will laugh with me. And she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Isaac has arrived, the child of promise. God did what he said he would do. Waiting all of these years, God proved himself faithful to his promise. And he arrived, notice, just on time. And so I noticed this, as he had said, verse one, as he had spoken, verse one, at the set time that God had spoken, verse two. Listen, some of you, you need to cling to the promises of God while you're waiting. And that's why many times, even as stepping out in faith, we were talking about missions today, and what would I say to the person that's ready to step out but wavering in their faith? Hold fast to the promise of God. Hold fast to the scripture he's given you, to the vision he gave you, to the dream he gave you. Hold fast to the promise of God. It's his word that's reliable. And then the response, of course, in God's faithfulness and utter reliability is what? Our obedience. And that's what Abraham does in verse four. He circumcised little Isaac just as God commanded him. You cling to the promises. God shows himself faithful. You respond in obedience. And that's the cycle. That's the cycle of walking in the spirit you want to develop in your life. It's so much more beneficial than the cycle of the flesh and indulging the flesh. And here's a 90-year-old woman conceiving and bearing a child. And she's like overwhelmed. It's like, who would have said and who would have thought? One commentator put it this way, and I quote, the Hebrew word visited in verse one is a common metaphor that describes God's intervention in nature and human affairs. It's a word that's used when God intervened to save the Israelites from Egyptian bondage, Genesis chapter 50. It's a word that when he ended a, to use when he ended a famine, Ruth chapter one. It's also a word that's used when he caused Hannah to conceive for Samuel chapter two and when he brought the Jewish exiles home from Babylonian captivity in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10. And I think that it's good for you to ask the Lord to visit you on his promises. And you just ask God, visit me. I am waiting upon you faithfully, reliably. I wanna experience your faithfulness. And I love this, the Lord visited Sarah just like he said. What did they name him? They named him Isaac, laughter. And what a joy this kiddo must have brought in their lives. All of their doubts, 
All their disappointments of the past were wiped away with the joy and the laughter of the Lord. He's just like, look what God has done. I can't believe it, honey. God has kept his word. Now, this laughter from Sarah is different from the previous laughter, you remember, from the promise. This laughter is not a laughter of unbelief, but a laughter of relief and rest in the Lord. Notice verse eight now. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom he had borne to Abraham, scoffing. And remember his name? What was his name? Who was the son of Hagar? Ishmael. And therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And this is an illustration that Paul will use later in Galatians to talk about the battle between the law and grace. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham in Abraham's sight because of his son. Abraham loved Isaac, but he also loved Ishmael. It's such a great fleshly mistake was made, but he loved him. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So after he was weaned, dad throws a big party and there's a big lesson in this for, me, for us at the party. Because it's interesting, Isaac was breastfed until he was about three years of age, which was the typical custom. But now it's time to grow up and move on and be weaned. No more milk for Isaac. It's time to bite into some solid food. And so even early on in the life of Isaac, we're reminded as believers that there is an admonition and an instruction for us to grow up in the Lord. That is God's desire for you. We may even use the word mature. God's desire is for you to mature and grow up in your relationship with him, to be weaned from simpler things and to grow up in him. Let me show you. We, we looked at this not too long ago in Hebrews. Would you turn over to Hebrews chapter five with me all the way back toward the end of the New Testament? In Hebrews chapter five, this isn't a special exhortation to those that are struggling, those that are wrestling with their faith. You know, there's a whole new generation that is deconstructing uh, what they were taught, the way they were raised, and even deconstructing their faith. And unfortunately, the pathway of deconstruction almost, in, almost always ends in disaster because it's just an examination of all the failures of humans. You can't just deconstruct Jesus, even though if you start to deconstruct, you know, the home you grew up in, the church you grew up in, the doctrine you might have been taught, you're like, yeah, there's going to be mistakes all along the way because God uses imperfect vessels. But you will never be able to be successful in deconstructing the faithfulness of God. You will never find a time when he was unfaithful to you. You'll never find a time when he lied to you or said something incorrect to you. Like instead of that pathway, maybe this is just a word from the Lord. Uh, maybe you didn't know there's a phrase deconstructing, but that's just where you are right now. You, you're like in this pathway of self-examination 
you, you may come to it from a place of pain. You may come to it from a place of compromise. You might come to it because people are in your life that are causing you to doubt or, or you're waiting, you know, and you kind of think, man, in the waiting, God's not faithful because he hasn't done this. And you always have to add the word yet. What do you mean God hasn't done this? No, God hasn't done this yet. He will always keep his word. And so it could be a word to someone that's in that phase of deconstructing. Look, it is not God's will for you to deconstruct everything. It is God's will for you to surrender and mature. And if you draw near to him, the Bible says, he'll draw near to you. And he will establish you and establish you in the faith. And yeah, you may find a few mistakes. You may find, you know, you deconstruct even the time that you spend in this church and you're here with uh, under eye teaching or listening on the radio or whatever. And you're like, what? You did this, you did this. You're right. But Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And yeah, you're right. I may have made an innocent mistake. I may have made a mistake that was not so innocent, but you have to allow the Holy Spirit to say, forgive the forgiveness is the way the pathway of faithfulness and just begin to extend forgiveness to those that have hurt you extend a forgiveness to those that have come against you maybe you consider them enemies or whatever it might be it is god's will like he says to the hebrews that they're kind of in the first century deconstructing their desire to follow jesus because it was so painful for them they lost everything it was already a hard existence for them to live under Roman rule. But when they, when they followed Jesus Christ as Messiah, they lost everything else. Their family, their resources, their career, they lost everything. And so what does the Holy Spirit say to them in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12? He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But notice, and this is the key, this is the answer. Well, how do I mature? And how do I grow? And how do I leave milk behind? Solid food, verse 14, belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And really, this is a, a fancy way of saying maturity comes by doing the word, not only hearing the word. By reason of use. Actually using what you've learned. Or in another place, the Bible describes a group of people always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth is putting the truth into action practically in your lives. Or as James would say, faith without works is dead. You're not saved by good works. Nothing merits our salvation. God paid the whole price. But we are saved for good works. And Jesus would put it this way. He says, you will know of tree by its fruit. You don't even need to be an expert with understanding trees and plants and all that stuff, by what the fruit is bearing on the tree, you can be sure that's the kind of tree it was. You know for sure. And now, as Isaac is growing and weaning, I want you to notice another spiritual lesson we see here, Ishmael's mocking. Ishmael, Ishmael is a mocker. He's taunting and he's pouting because now... 
he has become a real rival to all the blessings that Isaac is going to inherit, the child of promise. And now there is this sibling jealousy and covetousness, another example of the flesh. And so Sarah sees it. And she's not the same woman that doubted God previously. And she's been through a lot, even with her own husband since then, having been sold out and lied, you know, lied to and, and given into the harem to two different leaders. She's a different woman experiencing the promise of God for herself. And she gives direction and notice God affirms it. They can't live together. And it wasn't easy for Abraham. And again, it gives us another spiritual lesson. If we were numbering them, this would be third. It's not always easy to obey God. It's easy for a pastor to stand in the pulpit and talk about obedience, but it's not always easy to obey God. I think of even recently in my own life, battling all these things in my mind and and just wrestling with all these errant thoughts and just, just attacks on my mind. Just like the Bible says, for some of you, you deal with the same thing. And so what does the Bible say? Take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so as a pastor, I can say, do that. That's the right answer. That's what the Bible says, do that. But anyone that has ever gone down that path in applying that passage of scripture knows how exhausting it is and how tiring it is and and how hard it can be even as you yield to the spirit because you're just taken away from spiritual things and you know things like worry doubt they're all very sinful thoughts and then you're like all condemning it's like why do i doubt you lord you've been so faithful on and on and on and on it is tiring do i hear an amen to anyone else it's like ed you are really messed up i am but so are you it's not just me it's us we is the language of ministry around here and so in the battle it can be hard to obey It can be challenging. There can be layers of resistance in your flesh and even in your physical body. It's just the onslaught of the enemy. And this wasn't easy for Abraham. He loved both of his children. And understand by this time here, by this time of weaning and everything, Ishmael's a teenager. And little Isaac's three or four years old and he's picking on his little three-year-old brother. But he recognizes that his time is up. And with this turmoil in the home, Abraham is tested once again. How will he lead his home? He's already failed once with Sarah, already failed twice with Sarah, already failed three times with Sarah. Here's another opportunity. God brings him back to a place of leading his home. And Abraham yields to the direction of the Lord and he submits to his wife. Now, for some of you, if you hear that phrase, you say, submit to his wife, Ed. You don't know the Bible. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. What kind of Bible teacher are every husband out there is upset with me? What kind of Bible teacher are you? The one that understands the whole counsel of God. And before we ever get to that admonition of wives submitting to their husbands, we have to go back a verse and remember that the foundation of marriage is a mutual submission unto the Lord. And there are those times when wisdom is spoke that must be submitted to because marriage is a cooperative oneness 
in Christ. Last time this subject came up, Abraham told Sarai to do whatever she wanted and left it up to her. But this time he listens to the Lord. So even we see in Abraham's life, maturity and growth. And I want you guys, as we wind down today, in this final message of our, of our midweek Bible study here for this year, I want you guys to focus on your own spiritual growth. It's easy to look at where you are right now and feel like you should be so much farther. Perhaps it's true. It's like, man, I've been walking with the Lord by X amount of years and I'm still dealing with this and I feel like a new believer and I feel like a baby and Hebrews 5, that's me. I I need to be weaned. And and you just have that tendency to beat yourself up because you think you should be farther. But in those times, it's important that you factor in that that may be true and you need to deal with that with the Lord and he'll be faithful to you, but not in a self-condemning way, but just in an honest way before him. But also at the same time, I want you to remember and never forget this, just how far you've come. I mean, yeah, you could be a lot farther. Yeah, there should be some spiritual growth. I think it's true for all of us. But look how far you've come. Look at how God has been abundantly faithful in your life, how he's utterly reliable. And sure, there's much more growth for us in the future, but look where you are. Look what God has done. Give God the glory for the great things he has done in your life. Don't just be stuck with such a difficulty and the bad and all the things that you beat yourself up with. And then you just kind of get wrapped up in pride and self-centeredness. And then you go back farther. But look what God has done. Look how some of you are still walking with the Lord. And if we just knew the things you have gone through and endured to be where you are today, we would be inspired by your life, not discouraged and go, I can't believe why didn't you go farther than that? What's your problem? You faced 27 things this year and that held you back? Nobody would say that to you. And if they did, beat them up. No, don't do that. Don't do that. But, you know, just like, God, look what God has done in your life. Know that God is growing you in ways some may yet be unknown. You may be the next man that steps out in the mission field, literally around the world. You don't even know it yet. You may be the next woman. Your your family may have a new calling in your life. You don't know yet some of the things that God has in store for you. So often we dwell on and live in our past failures when God is really doing great things among us. Great things. And in this, as we come back to the text, Abraham obeyed again because obedience begets obedience, just like compromise and begets compromise. So he's just on this. God met, Abraham obeyed. God met, Abraham obeyed. Notice what he does. He rises early in the morning, took bread, and he sent him off exactly as God would have them. Verse 15, now notice, and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under a tree one of the shrubs, she went out and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And then she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, became 
an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and the, his mother took a wife for him in, uh, from the land of Egypt. So the wilderness was tough. They're running out of supplies. She's at a loss, and the Lord meets her and reminds her of the promise. Ishmael does become the father of 12 sons, just as Jacob also did. From Ishmael's sons, we know come the Arab nations that have ever since been a chief antagonist against the Israelites. The term Arab, someone from Arabia, came into use from the first time later on in the ninth century. And even as Hagar chose a wife for her son from her homeland, Egypt. So God is working even in this failure, but it will, Ishmael will cause, even as it is to this day, great pain. Because Ishmael was, remember, as we studied earlier, a compromising decision in a home with weakened leadership. And it will plague the nation of Israel even to this day. And yet God loves Hagar. God loves Ishmael, even in their condition as well. Notice in verse 22 now, it came to pass at the time when Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity and that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I'll swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. You didn't tell me. I haven't heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen, gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you've set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba because of the two of them swore an oath there. And thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army. They returned to the land of the Philistines and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days." So Abimelech, he asked some time to think about what the prophet that lied to him and determined that he was from God and saw the faithfulness of God even in the failure of Abraham. So Abraham makes a promise to him not to deal falsely and they work out a conflict over one of the wells. And I just want you to notice here, again, the position that obedience placed Abraham in. In the previous encounter with Abimelech, he's kicked out. He's given all kinds of a get out. We don't want anything to do with you. You almost ruined us. You put us at odds with your God. And, and even Abimelech stood there like all righteous. We have no, no dealings. We're, we, we don't hate your God. And look what you've done to us. But through a series of, of obedient steps, Abraham's in a place, in a position of strength. And you may not feel like it right now. The circumstances may not even confirm this statement. But I'm telling you in the spirit, it is 100% true. Obedience puts you in a position of strength, not weakness. Obedience puts you in a position of strength. Strength to battle the flesh. Strength to obey again. Strength to step out in faith. Strength to speak the truth in love. Strength to abide in Christ. Strength to, to 
share the gospel. I mean, every spiritual blessing that's yours by faith, you're in a stronger place and a place of obedience than you are in compromise and disobedience. Especially the disobedience that goes unconfessed and unrepented from. Because what that does is it builds up walls of pride and arrogance and hard-heartedness. And you just get farther and farther and farther away as you try to justify your own behavior before God and before others. You know, how many times has God sent someone into your life to tell you the truth in your hard heart, just immediately dismiss them, but God sent them into your life. When you're in a position of abiding and obedience, you're just so much stronger. Even if you feel like you're weaker. How many times has God brought you into a situation at work that if you're obedient, you'll probably lose your job. So you're afraid to be obedient and instead you compromise and then you lose your job anyway because they found out you weren't truthful and you weren't honest and you wavered instead of just standing for what is truth because you chose to disobey rather than obedience. And of course, obedience can lead to all kinds of consequences uh, as well, but I've learned this in my life and I'm learning it more and more. I would rather have the consequences of obeying God than the consequences of disobeying God any day of the week. I mean, we kind of think, well, if I obey God, it's not going to be a big deal. No, it might be a real big deal. God might bring you to a place where you're going to lose everything. In a rescuing, I think of Lot. What was Lot thinking? I don't want to leave. I'm going to leave. I love these people. I, I mean, he was so messed up. It's even hard to think what was in that brother's mind. But as he longingly looks back on Sodom, remember, God's going to take him out of Sodom, but Sodom was very much in him. He was in a place of great weakness, lost his wife and daughters and his credibility and his honesty and his children that were wiped out in Sodom. But Abraham, little by little, responding by faith, we find him come back to a place of strength, a place where he can stand strong by faith, to the very man that he had to stand before previously in a place of weakness because of disobedience. And I love this. In verse 33, it says, Abraham planted a tree, which is a, which is a kind of a type or a sign of permanence. It's like, this is where I'm at. This is where I belong. He sojourned there many days. But notice, not only did he plant the tree, but he, there he called upon the name of the Lord. Earlier, he heard the voice of the Lord And now in this new season with Isaac, even though he's going through pain with the loss of Ishmael, here he calls upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham today, we remember him as the man of faith, not a perfect man, but a man of faith. So Father, as we find ourselves at the end of this chapter, we're grateful for the lessons that you have for us, Lord. We desire to have a walk that's pleasing to you, Lord, a relationship that's important, not only to us, but like God, that, that it, would, it would be more than just a religious activity, but we would apply in our lives to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things will be added unto us. And we ask God that you would enable us and strengthen us even from the position, if there are those listening right now that are in the position of lot, God, I pray deliver them in Jesus' name. Even at the great loss, deliver them so that there's not complete total ruin. 
And God, if there are those listening that are in the place of Abraham, up and down, up and down, up and down, and they're in a down season of the flesh right now, God, I also pray for that deliverance to walk in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And so God, we just come to you in humble adoration and worship. And maybe we just need to plant a tree and call upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, completely faithful and utterly reliable. And we claim those promises today in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Stand together. I want to share a scripture with you. Uh, It just came to me while I was praying. It was shared with me this week. And I want to share it with you because I was meditating on it this morning before I came in. Uh, It's in Luke's gospel, chapter 12. And it's the words of Jesus. Uh, And he says in verse 31 of Luke chapter 12, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That was the, what Luke records of Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But then this is the verse that was shared because that's the context. He shared this verse with me, but I, went, I, I read the whole chapter because I wanted to get the context. And this is what he said. Jesus says, do not fear, little flock, For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so that's our final word in this particular service. Don't fear, Jesus would say to you. It's God's desire to give you his kingdom and all the benefits that come with being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the eternal benefits. But seek first, seek him first. That's what Jesus said right before that. Seek the kingdom of God. These things will be added unto you and don't fear because God's desire is to give you these things. His desire is to bless you, to enjoy fellowship with you, to deliver you from temptation, to strengthen you in your weakness, to reveal his faithfulness in your unfaithfulness. Don't fear, little flock, for it's God's father's, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And let that be an encouragement to you. If you need to, you need prayer today, the pastors will be up front here with you. If today you need to surrender your life to Jesus, then by all means, call upon the name of the Lord today. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Say, God, I've sinned against you and I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I need your help. I want your help. And I'm willing to turn my life away from my sinful past and to follow you. You can communicate anything that's from your heart that says, you know what, God, you're God and I'm not. And I want to turn away from my sins. Just admit that you've sinned. That'll start the whole process. Just admit, take responsibility for the condition of your life as it is this day. Your responsibility, not everybody's, just yours. And God will meet you right in that place. Why? Because he loves you. And you'll understand that it's the Father's desire to give us his flock. We're often you know, compared in the Bible to sheep. That's what he means by flock. He says, hey, I'm ready to give you everything I've promised you. But you got to be a part of the family. That's how it starts. And the pastors will be up, here, be up here as well to help you along the way. But let me just lead you in a prayer. You can do it with me right now. You could repeat after me. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me 
of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I turn my life away from my sinful past and confess them to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.